Well, good morning again. Uh, it's great to be with you all this morning. I have to say, it was so good to hear you all sing. Uh, it is one of my favorite parts of what we get to do as a church as we lift our voices to God. Uh, it, it's just always incredible. It's such an encouragement to me uh, to be able to hear you sing. I hope it's an encouragement to you as you get to hear other believers in Christ sing and proclaim the gospel uh, through music. So uh, just to thank you for being good participants in that. Thank you for being loud. Thank you for carrying us as we fail for the greatest life faithfulness. But James and I had a good laugh about that afterwards. Uh, it was actually kind of funny. I was telling him I got stuck listening to everyone as we were singing that and just totally lost where I was. So, um, that's a beautiful thing. If you have your Bible, please open to Genesis chapter 1. As you turn there this morning, I just wanted to give you a, one more note quickly about D groups, um, our, our discipleship groups. Uh, the, this question that's brought to me, I think, is a really good question. Uh, if, if you put down the town you're from, does that mean that you have to go to that D group? Here's the answer. No. You don't have to go to the D group that's going to be meeting in your area. It just helps us get an idea of where people are coming from so that we can spot out one location uh, that would be useful for people so that they don't have to drive 45 minutes to get to D group. Because, yes, we have people who commute 45 minutes uh, in church on Sunday. So, uh, with that, you just know as we announce the D group leaders and the locations, and if you see a group that you'd be interested in, you can go to that group. Nobody stop you from going to that group. Okay? So we try to keep them to about six to ten people, but um, that's just a logistics note. So Genesis chapter one. Let's pray and ask God to speak through his word this morning. Lord, may our minds be clear. As we approach your word this morning, our hearts be open. God, may we hear from you. May you speak. God, may we draw closer to you in awe and wonder of how good you are, how faithful you are, how powerful you are. God, your mercies. Thank you for what you said in your word. We pray now. So as we get to Genesis chapter 1 this morning, we're going to be focusing specifically in on verses 26 through 31. We're going to be talking about the creation of man. And last week, God, I had the opportunity to share with you guys one of my favorite creations that I have been able to use my hands to make was uh, our table. So if you've been to our house, if you've had dinner with Rachel and I, or if you've been over for uh, a day or two, you've probably encountered our giant eight-foot-long farmhouse table. Uh, I told everybody, Rachel asked me for a six-person table, so I gave her a ten-person table, because why not, right? <laughs> uh, so our, our, our farmhouse table is one of our favorite things that we have in the house. Um, but I, I don't know about you, it, it, there are moments where, as a kid, I think back on things that I used to like to make. If you ask my mom or dad, they would tell you that I was a person who really loved projects. Uh, very early on, I found a wrench set and started taking things apart. I was really, really good at taking things apart. I just was horrible at putting them back together. Uh, so there were bikes and scooters and, and tractor parts here and there and everywhere that were just totally taken apart so that I could see how cool they were. But I have to tell you that outside of the different things like my bike and my scooter, one of my favorite things to make were imaginary cars. So I loved Hot Wheels growing up. I, I had all those like little matchbox cars. My mom knew that I was going to have some sort of like perfectionism uh, thing going on in my life because I had to line them all up perfectly. They had to be in a straight line. They had to be color-coded, and they went from smallest to biggest. And I made this giant line on my bed, and I'd be quiet for hours, and she'd come up and say, oh, there you are with your cars again. Right? And those matchbox cars were really cool, but my favorite cars were the ones that I made. I used to draw them, used to try to make models of them, but the best way to make an imaginary car actually came from a plastic tote. Plastic tote. Now many times, many places, many people would look at a plastic tote and say, there is, is something that you store goods in, right? How many of you have stored something in a plastic tote before? Okay, if you walk around the church hall, if you go into the attic here, you're going to find lots of plastic totes. You go into the red barn, Lots of plastic totes, because we like to put things in them, right? As a kid, what I would do is I would take a Sharpie marker, 
and I would sit inside of the plastic tote, and I would start drawing out the different dials to a car. I draw a windshield and a speedometer. I draw the, the gear thing. I'd have a little window over here, a little window over there. I'd put the Toyota emblem on it because my grandpa worked for Toyota and they were the coolest cars. And every day, I just knew that I had the best car in the whole wide world. It wasn't something that you could find in a book. It wasn't something that you could actually find in some sort of car lot because it was made specifically by me. It was made through my imagination. It was made in the image of what I had desired the car to look like. So all my cars were sports cars that were able to go off-road and have four-wheel drive and were great on gas. <laughs> That's the problem here, right? <laughs> Yours truly has quite the imagination, right? And you can't find that in the car today. But nonetheless, I was able to take totes and boxes, and it went from drawing it out in a Sharpie, then all of a sudden to saying, if I grab other totes and other boxes, I can make bigger than a car, I can make a bus. I can make multiple cars, and we can have our own little car community, our little caravan that we can go from place to place. And then I got really disappointed one day because I realized that my little tote car didn't actually go anywhere. It just sat in the middle of the room. And so there had to be some sort of way to fix this. And so in my imagination, I decided, well, maybe I can do something about this. And the tote went from the living room to the top of the stairs and down the stairs and into that front wall by the front door and plenty of holes in that front wall because I was driving my car. And then when Dad said that was enough of that, no more doing that dangerous thing, it was time to think, hmm, maybe I could make some wheels. So in my creative imagination, I began to take apart my scooter, right? my Razor scooter. And I'd take the wheels off, and then I'd say, how can I attach this wheel to that wheel? I'll put it in the tote, and then I can have a, a car that moves. That didn't last long either, because those little wheels aren't meant to carry their weight over a small little rod inside of a plastic tote. It just falls and crumbles. But nonetheless, my creation, my image of this car, went from just a concept to being everything I wanted to be to actually turning into some sort of reality. The beauty is that God, in his providence, in his power, creates in such a way that is larger than what we could ever understand. God's creative power goes beyond the toy that is made out of a tote, or made out of little Macintosh cars lines, and it goes into creation. And so, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the doctrine of creation, how God has created the universe. we talked about the first five days, and how God has formed the earth. He has brought what was without existence into existence. He has spoken it into being. He has created matter. He has built things and he has formed them. He formed the world. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the waters. He made the skies. He made lights in the sun and the moon. He made lights in the stars. And then he filled the earth. He filled the seas, the waters, and the skies. He created these beings. But Genesis 1, verses 26 through 20, or 31, goes beyond what God has just done in forming the earth and filling the earth into now the climax of creation, the creation of man. There is nothing as important in the doctrine of creation as the doctrine of the creation of so as we approach God's word, let's approach it with reverence this morning in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. The word of God says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with which seed is in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he, what he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. As we approach the text this morning, our big idea is that God has created man in his image and in his likeness. And so this morning, I want to answer what does that mean? I want to answer the question, what does it mean for man to be in the image of God and in the likeness of God? I want to show how uh, in the text here, it says that God has blessed uh, mankind, how he has blessed humanity, and how God has seen this work as good. And then in closing, we're going to address a couple of cultural issues that push back against the image of God. So first, as, as we look at this, we see very clearly in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I want you to note just a, a little grammatical thing here. It does not say in our image and our likeness. So these are two separate concepts. In our image after our likeness. Okay, so what does it mean for people to be made in God's image? What does it mean for people to be made in God's image? This is a question that lots of scholars have, have debated. They have uh, varying opinions. Uh, the terms in our image and in our likeness, they're, they're very bold. Um, but they're, the words don't actually measure up to all the fullness of what could be said about the topic. And in the time that we have this morning, we can't dive into every jot and tittle of what it means to uh, be made in the image of God. But what we need to see here is that this is a reflection of, of some sort of powerful being. There's no and in between these statements. They're, they're made separately. Uh, but as we talk about image, we need to see that this is some sort of constitution. It's a rationale. It's a morally responsible uh, action. That is, we're made in the image of God. We are made with responsibility. And then we need to walk out in that responsibility. We carry that responsibility. So as you see in Genesis chapter 1 and verses or days 1 through 5, God creates the world, and he does so through his action. Right? He speaks the world into existence. He makes things come to life. As we're made in the image of God, we are made to rule like God and to act on his behalf in the world. And we see this in the text as it comes, it says, and later on in, in verse 26, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice here the command that's been given as God, the Trinity, right here. So it says, let us make man in our image, right? This is not just God the Father speaking. This is God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit speaking, saying, let us make man in our image with our responsibility, which looks like having dominion. Having dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the skies, over everything that creeps within the earth. This is the ultimate picture of creation. Everything that was just formed, everything that just filled the earth, God then takes man who is the last of all created beings, and he makes him, he forms him, he brings into him the breath of life, and he says, all of this that I have created, you now rule. You have dominion. You exercise my moral responsibility. You care for these things. 
We try to define the image of God, it's not enough just to react against the, the literalism of isolating man's mind and spirit from his body. This is, the Bible makes this a uniting act. We, what we act like, what we think like, how we feel, is all part of our whole being. And so as we, we look through creation, for us to be made in the image of God is not just how we act, it is how we think, how we respond, how we live. As long as we are human, by definition, we are in the image of God. But these things, the spiritual likeness of God, the love of God, the rule of God, the community with God, cannot exist between man and God unless they're in relationship. They're in fellowship. And this is where the fall is destroyed the image that we bear. The rule, the responsibility, the action, the thinking, the morality is destroyed by our rebellion. Praise God that through Jesus he comes for redemption to restore the image of God in the person. And then he protects Among the implications of this doctrine, we have to note that on the Godward side, it excludes the idea that our maker is the holy other. And us in our points of plurality, so there's a couple of guys that say this includes um, the working of the, the angels, the sons of God. This claim can, can, can claim some support in Genesis chapter 3. But any implication that exists that others had a hand in our creation is contrary to the truth of Scripture. So angels did not form us. Uh, other beings did not form us. We were specially created by God Himself. Dominion over all creatures is not the content, but the consequence of being made in the image of God. As we're made in the image of God, the consequence of that is that we exercise dominion. It's come into existence. So if image of God is to be the, the picture of acting and thinking and feeling with the entire being represented as the image of God, what is likeness? What does it mean for us to be made in his likeness? So, uh, as we look at the likeness, we have to see a few different proposals. Um, image refers to action and mental capacity and spiritual faculties. And likeness comes in to the quality it refers to the supernatural graces that make the redeemed God. Uh, Andy Davis says that image and likeness are distinct because image refers to the natural qualities that are in man that make him resemble God, while likeness refers to that spiritual, supernatural grace that makes them redeemed. So if you want to think of it in, in those terms, uh, image is more of the natural quality that resemble God, and to act like him, act on his behalf, and then likeness is that spiritual grace quality that makes us connected to him like fellowship. Does that make sense? I think that's a, a decent definition. I, I will go with it here. Uh, but as we look at these two ideas, we have to see that those can come to life in different fashions. So they can come to um, mean different things in our lives. So, Image is something that's more like a physical resemblance than man looks like God. As we stand in the image of God, our beautiful bodies, right? <laughs> Maybe not this side of heaven, but as we stand in our glorified forms, we represent the, the picture of God, what he is like. If you want to know what God is like? We can look, we, we can see that Jesus took on human flesh. As he took on flesh, he looked like a man, he acted like a man. He did what a man was supposed to do through God's design. 
he resembled him. But his likeness was far superior to our likeness of God. He was not just human, he was God in the flesh. He was 100% God and 100% man. Whereas we have the likeness of God, we have spiritual connection to God, our, our soul longs for him, we're made to be in relationship and community with our creator, Jesus actually lived that perfectly, 100% of the time, where he was fully deity and fully human. But in our humanity, we are not deity, so we don't walk in some sort of sense of superior spirituality, we walk longing for our community with God. This is just because when we had community in the beginning, as God created man, as Adam and Eve existed with man, or with God, then they broke that rebellion, and they fell away from him, and they were cast away from him. So the separation points to a, a need, a longing for community and God. So image that natural quality and likeness, the supernatural qualities that build us in image of God. So God creates man in his image to look and resemble him, to act on his behalf. He creates him in his likeness to be in community to be intimate with him, to know him, to be loved by him, to walk with him. But God also creates a man for tasks, to rule over the earth, to have dominion. It's also interesting, too, that it says in the text, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what we have to see here is the word for man is Adam in Hebrew. And every time that man is listed in this uh, in this, this verse here, God created man, Adam. He created mankind, humanity. As he created, in the image of God, he created him. The word him right there is Adam. He created man, mankind, humanity in his image. And then he goes to say male and female. This is again Adam and the dumb, male and female, he created them. So, in English, this translates uh, better than what we can see in Hebrew. It's probably in Hebrew, see this, the same word listed each time. But what's interesting here is the English actually takes the emphasis of what we don't know in our Hebrew linguistics because we're not Hebrew experts, right? I'm definitely not a Hebrew expert by any means. I will confess that again and again and again. People who like Hebrew, You're a Hebrew guy? What? Okay, you've got some interesting preferences there. <laughs> Nonetheless, the, the word in Hebrew points to man, made this image, made him, this is male characteristics, created them male and female. So God creates them as man in his image, mankind in his image, Every person, male or female, is created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, but God creates them distinct. This is the beauty we celebrate. He creates man in his image to exercise rule of many, and then in Genesis 2 we'll see that God forms woman from man to be his helper, and to walk with him and to help him as he continues to walk with God. So this is not to say uh, that there's a feminist agenda in Genesis 1. No, that, that does not exist. It's not to say that there's a patriarchal uh, agenda. This is just to simply explain that God has made mankind, humanity, with two genders, male and female. And that he created mankind to exercise rule and dominion. So we get to see that more in the person of Adam in Genesis 1 and into Genesis 2 in his we walk out in Genesis 2, and as man is naming all of these animals, as he's naming all the fish, as he's naming the creatures of the earth, God looks and sees that Adam, man, needs something that is like him. So God puts a sleep on Adam, and he takes his rib, and he forms from Adam's rib 
woman. And Adam says, this is the woman. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's been created. This is healthy. So we'll have plenty of conversations about that in Genesis 2. What does that mean? How does that carry out? But the, the big picture here in Genesis 1 is to see that God is intricately acting in the creation of man, and he makes man so special that he's above the rest of creation. He's to exercise rule. He's to look like God and to act on God's behalf. And God creates these humans, male and female. It seems logical, but it needs to be hit home again and again. God has created humans to be male and female. He's not created them to be something else. God blesses them. In verse 28, it says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. As God forms all of creation, see this pattern, right? God makes the heavens. He makes the waters. He makes the dry land. What does he do with the heavens and the dry land and the waters? He fills them. He forms them and fills them. And here we see in verses 26 and 27, he forms man. He forms him to be in his image and in his likeness. And then he blesses them and commands them. This blessing is a command. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. So man is to act just as God has through his creative power and order. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And then he says the same of the beasts of the earth and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things in verse 30. So as God forms creation, as he fills creation, as he forms mankind, as he tells them to fill the earth and have dominion, he also shows them that he blesses them by providing God's detail in creation is abundant. I think, you know, I, if I had all of the tools necessary to build my perfect toy car out of a plastic tow, that thing would have been stinking awesome. It would have had huge off-roading wheels. It would have had its own power motor. It would have been way cooler than purple plastic. But I had what I had on hand. So I can't speak something into existence. I can't say, hey, Dad, I'm like six years old. I need a motor. Like, look at me and say, what are you talking about? Why do you need a motor? Got to build a car. It's going to be my image. I've got this. I've got a plan. But God has all of the resources. He is infinite in his power. He's infinite in his wisdom. Nothing holds him back. He fills the earth. He forms the earth. He does everything to it because he is the God who is above all things, holding everything holy together. He does so just by the command of his word. This is amazing. And as he creates, it's not like he just creates something and says, okay, here's my toy plastic toe. I'm going to make that. All right, now it's good on its own. He creates it and then provides for it and enables it to be sustainable. He doesn't just form the earth and fill it. He sustains it. The scripture tells us this about the person of Jesus. In Colossians 1, as all things were formed through him and for him and by him, he holds all things together. Sir, God is not just a, he's not some sort of guy in the sky who comes out and makes something and leaves it in its chaos. He doesn't, like I said, in the doctrine of Christian, wind up the clock and walk away. He creates in such a way that he forms something, he fills it, and then he continues to provide for it. So why can Adam, 
Why can man have this dominion over the earth? He can only have that because there's an infinite God who has dominion over him. God looks at his work. He sees everything he's created in these six days. And in verse 31 it says, He made it, and then he holds it. Hold on to it. Solomon is very good. This is unique because in the rest of the creation account, days one through five, the text tells us God made this and saw that it was good. But in day six, the culmination of creation, God makes it and he sees it and he beholds it. He says it was very good. God makes man in his image, in his likeness. He makes them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule. God provides for them. He does this in his goodness. He does it in his love. So, what about issues that we face today? How is the image of God destroyed by our current culture. I want to suggest three different ways that the culture is pushing against the image of God in humans. There are people who are all over the table and have different opinions on these topics, but I'm going to bring them to the table and say that we need to address them and respond to them in a way that is biblical and represents Jesus. And so the quick list of the that I would suggest are this or these. First, abortion pushes back against the image of God. Abortion pushes back against the image of God. Second, gender confusion pushes back against the image of God in man. And third, I would say the same sex attraction of marriage pushes back against the image of God in man. And so let me explain my positions here. So abortion, abortion is the act of killing an infant in the womb. There are tons of ways that that procedure happens, and I really don't want to go into detail about all the different ways because it's horrifying. But there's a general movement that exists in America. You have people who are pro-life or pro-choice. So these are words that are hot topics in the political climate that exists today. Uh, there's a baby inside of a woman, and that woman has the choice to do what is right with her body, but that baby is not really a baby until it's out of the womb. That is the language that has been created and brought to the surface here. I, I, don't, I don't know constantly how people constitute life. I constitute life according to scripture from the conception of birth. Um, that when a baby comes into existence and there's a pregnancy in a woman, that baby is a baby. They're a human. I think it's really interesting about six weeks into pregnancy, a baby has a heartbeat. That's incredible. The heart is the organ that basically provides blood to the rest of our entire system, and it provides that sense of life. So like I said, if Life begins in six weeks. I think life begins before six weeks because the Bible tells us very clearly, Jeremiah, when I knew you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139. I had formed you and knitted you, and I know everything that is about you. God is involved in creating humans from their very beginning. So, pro-choice, people are saying, hey, there's something going on. We need to care for the person. But at some point, there is some sort of determination of whether a baby is a person or not. And the question of life comes into existence. So what is life? What is not life? That question has to be answered. And I think the Bible points to life beginning as God creates it. And that's something I think it's interesting. I think there's statistics that say that there's millions 
of abortions that happen every year in the United States. The United States, friends, hear that? Millions. And we continue to cry about issues that happen all the world. I'm not trying to say that the hurt that people go through is not worth mentioning or empathizing with. There are hurts, but there is also a reality that we can face in that every day, every second, this very moment, a new life is being taken. A new life. And that is not how God created us. He did not create us to destroy us. He created us to love us. Now, there are plenty of people who have experienced abortion or have known someone who has lived through abortion. I know people who have gone through this. I know very, very personal in some sense, too. Not that we've ever had an abortion, not, not in that sense, but I've experienced this in a way that hits me in a way that I find as personal. Rachel is trained high school was to work for a pregnancy center and counsel ladies and work with them. So as I got to know her, I got to hear about that passion and see her work and volunteer hours at caring families, lament, paint rooms, and see that passion. I didn't know all the details. I knew that people need to be able to make choices for themselves and know what that looks like, and then all of a sudden I had to answer the question, what's life? And how does this work? And as I was confronted with the reality is sometimes these victims, these people who have gone through this, have been forced to kind of not make a decision. They're making a decision but not making a decision. They avoid. They run. And so as, as we see, this is something, uh, abortion specifically, is that one in every four women have abortion. That's an incredible statistic. 25% of the population. It's something that's real, something that's prevalent. So we need to exercise empathy. We don't know the situations that they were faced. We don't know if this was some sort of a teenager who was forced to make a decision that they felt that they had no input in. We don't know the circumstances that surrounded this person's decision to get to this place. We know that they've acted, but nonetheless we need to empathize, we need to care, we need to listen well. And often what happens is we approach hard topics, like abortion, we don't listen. We just say, here's what is, and here's what's not. Listen, I am about life. I believe what I believe about life. And where it starts, according to scripture, but I need to listen to Somebody can come and say, here's what I believe, and they might never hear me, but if I can hear them and still stand up for what I believe and care for them, that goes a whole lot longer than not listening to them and beating them around. My careless thoughts at times. I know I'd be quick to speak and not think through situations. Our second issue that is more and more prevalent in our society is gender confusion. I don't know, is that an actual term, gender confusion? Because I feel like it is actually a pretty good term. If it's not there, I'm pointing. <laughs> right? I know there's gender dysphoria. Um, but right now, the, the reality is like, so even when I was in high school 10, 15 years, 10, 12 years ago now, gosh, wow, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Right for me. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I remember coming into uh, my freshman year and knowing that there was someone that was in my class who um, who was gay, and that just seemed like totally weird to me, and it seemed totally weird to most of the people that that I was in, like in my friend group. Um, and then I graduated high school, and I heard that you know it was continuing, and then all of a sudden this like this whole new community rose up and it was transgenderism and, and pansexuality and, and all these things. And 
And I, I was like, what? What is all of this? Where did this come from? I was totally taken away by it. There's the LGBTQ now. That's it, right? Well, it's a good thing they added the plus sign on it, because I don't know where the list of all their letters, but there's there's a list of, of different people, whether they're lesbian or bisexual or gay or transgender, um, the gender binary right now. I, I, any of you listen to Al Holder's The Briefing? Anybody, anybody know Al Holder? Okay. Listen, uh, go follow that podcast. He just did a little talk on, on gender confusion. It was really good to listen to. Um, it's actually how Wall Street was affected by all of these things. It was, it was interesting. So, um, side note. Nonetheless, this gender confusion, uh, there's so many people now that are saying, well, I identify as a man, but I'm a woman. Or I identify as a woman, but I'm a man. Or I don't identify as anything at all. And gender has become something that is not biological. It's become something that is uh, their identity through their choice. Their choices. I don't know how they necessarily come to these conclusions. So I know it's confusing. So I think gender confusion is a great term for all of this. Maybe my case, thrown in. As these things are brought to the table, I mean, I've heard about people who are self-identifying now as cats, and I don't blame them. Like, you can sleep all day, you can eat when you want to, somebody gives you a fluffy blanket, it's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be insensitive, I, I promise, I'm really being genuine, like, okay, okay, yeah, you're going to be something, then yeah, somebody feeds you, cleans up after you, and provides for you, great. See why that can be a feeling. Nonetheless, though, humanity is being totally ripped apart as people say, I am this or I am that. But listen, what you are is what God says you are. It is what God has created you to be. If you had a chance to go back and be formed in the womb and take your own DNA sequence, we'd be talking about something different here. But it is God who forms the human. It is God who makes the person. And the scripture tells us he makes them male and female. There's not a list outside of that. And so these people who are facing confusion, well, I feel like a, a boy or I feel like a girl. Listen, here's what the word of God says. It says that our feelings and our desires and our heart can lead us astray. I felt like my toy car was a real car that was four-wheel drive, gas-efficient, and a supercar. I felt that. It was awesome. But I had to come to a reality where I saw, okay, this is not a car, this is a tote with wheels on it. <laughs> it's a pretty horrible drawing skills, to be honest with you. I had to come to that point. I can face reality. Because reality isn't just what I feel it to be. It's not what I perceive it to be. Reality goes above and beyond me. And really, if you ask me my personal opinion about all that, especially gender confusion, this is just a bunch of idol worship. It's a bunch of pride. Here, look at me. I'm going to decide. Here's what I am. I'm going to tell people what I want to be. I'm going to tell them this is my destiny. Let me tell you, friend, your destiny is determined by a holy and sovereign God who formed you, who knitted you, and who knows your steps. And he knows when you're going to begin, and he knows when you're going to end. And he determines that. You don't get to decide. You can be the safest driver in the world and get out in the street today and get hit by another car. Totally outside of your control. You can walk across the street and somebody could blow through the red light. But you didn't determine that destiny. God do it. He's working at it. So yes, people feel things. 
Yes, it's important to recognize that their feelings can be real. It's important to listen to them and say, why do you feel that way? It's important to genuinely have care and concern and say, can you explain? You're not understanding me. There becomes a point where the phrase, you're not understanding me, is really a roadblock to you saying, I don't even care if you understand me. We need to listen. We need to hear. We need to represent Jesus so we can speak the gospel. And we need to recognize that the gospel, that God is the one who brings the change. First, so we don't get to say to people, hey, you've had an abortion, you can't become a Christian. Hey, you know what? You have uh, struggled with same-sex attraction. Well, you can't become a Christian. Listen, Jesus says, come to me as you are. Your sin might not be that you've struggled with the choice of an abortion. It might not be that you've struggled with same-sex attraction. And maybe it's something like you're prideful. Or like me, maybe you can be arrogant. Or quick to speak. And maybe selfish in your time, in your resources, in your energy. Maybe you get angry easily. But your sins will separate you from God, so you came to the cross with nothing. So don't tell somebody else to come to the cross with something. Tell them to come to the cross. Let Jesus change them. And friend, the one thing that you know we can look at these issues abortion and gender, same-sex attraction and marriage, I think that can kind of fit into the gender confusion at times. We can look at these things and say, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, and communicate those things and genuinely love people, want to share the gospel with them, and say, hey, you know, I know this is your struggle. But you need to address this in the gospel and then say, here's Jesus, bye. Okay. Thank you for sharing the gospel. Follow up. Please follow up. Because you know what? That person has come to you. I know Rachel Head would be totally fine with me sharing this. There was somebody that she worked with at one point who um, was in a, a heterosexual marriage and lesbian, got married to another woman. Her dad passed away. And she came to Rachel and she was like, I want to know what you believe about God. How, what is all this about? So Rachel showed the gospel with her. It was a beautiful moment. She was genuinely interested. It's not to say that there's a ton of food that came from that, but Rachel continued to care for her. Continued to check in. Continued to talk. Continued to say, hey, I'm here for you. Because the reality is that woman was facing something where she felt alone. Her dad was gone. Her family was gone. What she had grown up with and that she, she had known had abandoned her. And if Rachel had brought the gospel to her and then said, hey, hope everything works out for you and Jesus and left her alone, she would have left her in the same place that she was in. She had come by her say, here's who Jesus is and I love you and I'm here for you. So Christians, as the church, what we need to do with these people who face these, these sin issues is we need to put our arm around them, tell the gospel to them, and trust God, hear me, and trust God to change the person and to help them through your instruction, rooted in the scripture, and your empathy and care, and then we need to continue to live with them as their family. The church is the family of God, is it not? Who would family abandon another person? I don't know about you, but if I abandoned my parents, they'd have something to say. If I abandoned my wife, you would probably hunt me down. I would hope that you would hunt me down. She would definitely hunt me down. Nonetheless, we, if we're going to bring the gospel to people, listen, we need to stand for what is right and wrong. Do not waver on the scripture. Do not be afraid to come and share the word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. Right? This is not about what I feel. This is not about what I think. This is what the Bible says. It's the most powerful thing that a Christian can say. Here's what the Bible says. Because God is the author of this. He's speaking through it. He's working in it. You want to bring some helpful things to people that don't know Jesus? Bring them the word. Here's what the Bible says. 
and then be a good student of it and continue to help them walk not just through one passage of scripture, but walk through the entirety of the Bible. So bring them the word. And as you bring them the word, care and listen, be empathetic, represent Jesus well, right? Let's just have a little side note here. Who did Jesus hang out with? Was he with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? No, they hated him. They crucified him. They crucified him, friends. His own people crucified him. Then we hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the ones that you didn't want to be in the crowd. Those were the people he ran after. Because he came to seek and save that was lost. He exists to seek and save. God saves the lost. He exists to make disciples. So care for them. Represent Jesus well. Go to the unlovable. And trust God to do his work in the gospel. And then live with these people. And care for them like a family. Because I can tell you right now, there have been people that come in our church. And have had these struggles. I know that there are people in the room. People that are serving. People that are here and have faced some sort of struggle. Whether it be abortion or same-sex Maybe they're confused about their identity. I'm supposed to be a boy or a girl. What we can do is we can share the word with them, we can love them well, we can point them to Jesus. And we can walk with them and trust Jesus and continue to do his work in the gospel and changing their heart. Reminding them to him. Praise God that we have a God who runs after his people. Even if there's 99 that run are going this way, one those offers. Jesus is the God who runs after them. And we as Christians need to be good people who run after those who wander from what God has to say. And then when we confess our sin, may I confess it first. To say that we don't like my own It's a patient man that has to be. God, please help us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have created man in your image and in your likeness. God, that you have created us to resemble you and to act on your behalf. God, I thank you that every person in this room has been created by you and is worthy of your respect and worthy of our respect. I pray that you would give us grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. God, that you would give us patience that it was unending as we care for people who struggle with what you have done by creating man in your image. May we stand strong. May we be unwavering. May we be unashamed of the gospel. But God, may we be a people who, as we stand strong, are also people who kneel before you on behalf of Only dependent on you. May you work through us for your glory and for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to join us as we respond to our worship to God.